Good morning, Bethel. Well, our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's on page 835. So Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, page 835 in the Pew Bible. Please stand with me for the reading of the word. So at this point, Jesus has risen from the dead, and he is standing with his 11 disciples. This is the word of the Lord to us, starting in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You may be seated. Good morning, Bethel. Okay, so... um, As many of you know, we've been studying through the book of Isaiah lately, and the plan is actually to finish that in the weeks that follow the missions conference. Um, The missions conference is this coming weekend, but as Tyler mentioned last week, as we prepare for the conference, um, and as we were thinking about preparing for the conference, it seemed good to kind of build a bit of a ramp up to the the week of the uh, weekend of the of the missions conference. So last week, Pastor Tyler unpacked Matthew twenty four fourteen, which says this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And this week we're going to look at the text that Tyler read a few minutes ago, Matthew twenty eight eighteen to twenty, oftentimes called the Great Commission. And then next week. Tom Steller from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis is going to walk us through um, the theme verses of the Missions Conference weekend, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Um, So here's the logic. I want to make sure you see the logic of this. Tyler um, put it this way last week. The beginning of the mission, when Jesus rose from the dead and commissioned his disciples, that's what we're going to look at this week. All authority belongs to Jesus. He tells us to go and make disciples of all the nations. He promises to be with us to the end of the age. And then Matthew 24, 14 is this promise, and it's a condition. He's not coming back until the whole world knows. So it's a promise that this will take place. The gospel is going to get to all the ends of the earth. The whole world will hear the gospel. And then, and not until then, the end will come. In the meantime, what do we do? Well... We should be stewarding the talents that God has given to us to fulfill our part in the completion of the Great Commission. So you see the logic? We're going to start, well, we started at the end. (laughs) Jesus is going to come back after all the world hears. But the beginning is this morning, Jesus commissioning his disciples. And then in between, we spend ourselves. We've been given gifts and talents and time and treasure and all of that to be invested wisely for the sake of the gospel. That's the logic. So it builds a ramp up to next week. If that's what the end looks like 
and that's what the end is conditioned on. If this is the commission that Jesus has given to his disciples, then let's spend our lives well. They've been given to us for a purpose. Um, so that's the logic. Hopefully that makes sense. That makes sense? Make that clear? Okay. Now, in case there's any of you, like if you're one of those snarky types that thinks, you know, man, you guys are really making a big deal of this conference. You're right. We are. <laughs> um, and Matthew 24, 14, what Tyler drew our attention to last week, and Matthew 28, 18 to 20 that we're going to look at this morning is reason enough, reason enough to make a big deal of this conference and reason enough why you should be here for it. So um, got a good response already, but today's the last day to sign up, so please do that. But let me just say this. All this planning, all this effort that has gone into the conference is not us kind of putting all our eggs in some event basket. You know, our trust and our hope, like, this will do it. No, that's, that's not the point. Who we are as people, the life that we live, is worked out in 10,000 ordinary moments, isn't it? But those 10,000 ordinary moments are periodically shaped and changed and redirected by very significant moments. And we're praying that this conference will be one of those life-changing, life-shaping moments for all of us. And I hope you join us in praying that for this coming weekend. So we're praying that the fruit of this conference will be born in 10,000, in fact, tens of 10,000s of ordinary moments of faithful discipleship after the conference. Does that make sense? All right. Speaking of faithful discipleship, that's the theme of our text this morning. So I want you to think with me here for a minute about what a disciple is. I think it's interesting that it's kind of a weird word, but it's still used in our culture at large, isn't it? With surprising regularity. Um, our culture may have cheapened the language of follower. Sometimes disciple and follower could be synonymous. You know, if you're a follower on Instagram or Twitter, you know, that could be a pretty cheap form of following, right? That's not the way that we're talking about following Jesus here. But when it comes to the use of the term disciple, I think we actually have a decent sense of the difference between that and just being a fan or a consumer. So think like in the movie realm. So there's plenty of people that like the movies of Steven Spielberg and Peter Jackson and what's the Lucas guy, George Lucas, right? But if someone actually called themselves a disciple of one of those guys, it probably means that they're not just a fan. They're probably pursuing production or directing, right? They're, they're like wanting to be in the field. Or think of a great football team, like a dynasty, like the Packers in the 60s or the Steelers in the 70s. I'm a Steelers fan. A few, few of you are thinking, oh, come on, that was cheap. Or the 49ers in the 80s. I just can't get myself to mention the Patriots. Um, so there are plenty of fans of those teams and their iconic coaches, right? Vince Lombardi, Bill Walsh, Chuck Knoll. 
Some of them are even rabid fans, but still they're fans, right? If someone talks about himself as a Vince Lombardi disciple, he's probably a coach or an aspiring coach or maybe a player because Lombardi had a philosophy. So it's interesting that even in our culture, discipleship means that you're in the field, on the field, you could say. Discipleship simply doesn't mean that you're just a fan or that you're merely interested in what someone has to say. You know, people in our world, if they're disciples of economists or business gurus or spiritual guides or whatever, you are going to know it pretty quickly because they are enthusiastic devotees of that person or that philosophy. I mean, have you ever met one of these people? I mean, you could probably throw out some things. Like in the business world, maybe you've met like a Peter Drucker disciple, right? Management. Or in the financial realm, you know, there's a lot of people that are like Dave Ramsey disciples. Like Dave Ramsey? That's great. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody run into one of these people? It's like you know pretty soon that this is like somebody that they seriously, um, loyally, enthusiastically follow. If you're a Christian um, college student and you go to a secular university, you will very quickly run into some disciples of Darwin, Margaret Sanger, and you will be shouted down very quickly because they're so loyal to their leader. I know it's obviously oftentimes a complex of leaders, um, and it's an ideology and so forth, but you get the idea. So here, here's the question for us. The, the same is true of Jesus, and, and he's really the archetype. Those are all just kind of cheap imitations. But the question is, are you a disciple of Jesus? Let's all just make this personal this morning. Are you, am I, are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you an enthusiastic and devoted practitioner, like in the field, on the field, involved in the same mission Jesus came to pioneer? Or are there ways maybe in which your following of Jesus is more like Instagram and Twitter? Or like the following of a fan, even an enthusiastic fan, but you're, you're maybe more observing from the stadium seats rather than giving blood, sweat, and tears on the field. Well, let's look into Matthew 28. And as we do, we need to look honestly at our own lives so we're not here by accident. King Jesus has something to say to us this morning. And it might be convicting. It might be sobering for us. But no matter what you do find as you look honestly in at your own heart, and we all need to do this, let's also make sure that we look intently at Jesus. <laughs> the answer for whatever he wants us to do and be is not going to be found examining our navel. It's going to come from beholding our Savior. So um, it's infinitely more important that we look to Jesus, that we look at Jesus here in this passage. So as we do, I'm just going to pray briefly again here before we dive in. Father, 
We thank you that you have demonstrated your love and that while we were still sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us. I pray that you would help us to see the glory of the gospel. I pray that we would see who you are that's been so clearly revealed through the incarnation and the life and the teachings and the death and the resurrection and even the commission here of your son. And I pray that we would be changed by that glory, that we would be thrilled by that glory, that we would lay down all the lesser, smaller things that so oftentimes captivate us and draw us away from following hard after him with a singleness of mind and a wholeness of heart that he is worthy of. So please help us, please speak through your word. Help me. I need your help, Lord. I pray that you would help us to really understand this passage, these words on the lips of our Savior and King, and by your Spirit, would you drive them home and do what you have planned to do here this morning. For the sake of your great name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so there's an outline in your bulletin. Also, you'll see slides of the, the points um, on the on the screen up here. So first point, all authority in verses, really verse 18, but we'll go ahead and read verses 16 and 17 as well here to get started. So after Jesus rose from the dead, he's going to appear to his disciples, Judas excluded, the 11 now. The disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Uh, it's, it's hard to know for sure why some, and if the sum is the 11, why would some of them doubt? Better translation might be hesitated. And it may be that some didn't immediately confidently recognize him to be the glorified Jesus. You remember um, there was the time when Jesus appeared on the, on the uh, shore and the disciples were coming out on the boat and they didn't recognize him at first, but then he called to them, and then they recognized him. Maybe it's something like that. It may be that some hesitated to worship him. You see, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some hesitated. So can you imagine how their minds were reeling to understand all the implications of a crucified Messiah? They didn't expect that. And now a resurrected Messiah? They didn't expect that. So worshiping him? I mean, we knew his mom. You can imagine maybe some hesitation there. Whatever the reason, Jesus responds, verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, one of my friends and teachers once said, scratch any New Testament text and there's an Old Testament text underneath. Um, so there is an echo, an important echo of an Old Testament text underneath this passage, this giving of authority. 
So flip back to Daniel chapter 7. And if you're using a pew Bible, if you don't have a Bible, grab the one in the pew in front of you, and you can find this on page 745. Seven is the big number, and um, verses 13 that we're going to look at, 13 and 14, those are the little, little numbers. Chapter, big number, little numbers are the verses. So Daniel sees this vision I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, to this one like a son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So that was the expectation for the Messiah that would come, this kingly figure, like a son of man, he's going to come and receive this right to rule, this power to rule, and he's going to rule the world forever. So that's what these... Old Testament folk, that's what they were expecting. He would come and all authority would be given to him for every, every knee would bow. So you can imagine they would think that this would happen by force. Anybody that's opposed to this king, they're going to be forced to bow the knee. But the crazy thing about the gospel as it unfolds, as you read the Bible, is the fact that Jesus comes humbly as a servant. Well, here's the point. How could the king come and just pardon this rebellious world? We're all rebels. We all know we're guilty. We've all fallen short of our own standards, let alone God's. We're in trouble. If the king shows up, he deserves, he would be just to just crush the rebellion in order to establish his kingdom. Maybe to just start over, right? That's what we deserve. So it's crazy when Jesus comes on the scene and in Mark 10.45 it says, even the Son of Man, same phrase, one like a Son of Man, he's talking about his leadership as opposed to the leadership of typical authorities in the world. He says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wait a second, the Son of Man was supposed to come and everybody was supposed to serve him. Well, that will happen. But it's going to happen not by force, at least at first. It happens first as hearts are changed where we want to bow to King Jesus until the day when everyone will be forced to bow. So he's not a despot. This God is not a despot. He's not a tyrant. He's the most humble, benevolent king this world has ever known. So how does he establish his kingdom? He does it by means of sacrifice and suffering. So Again, I just want you to see this theme. This is the kind of stuff that's going on in Matthew 28, 18. Flip over to Revelation 5. This is the worldview of the Bible, you could say. It's, it's normal. 
but we might not think about it this way very often. It might be weird even for us to think, wait a second, he's the son of God. Why would he have to be given <laughs> authority? Doesn't he already have it? You see? So Revelation 5, Apostle John receiving this vision again. He says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. He's, he's brought up into the very throne room of heaven. I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, God the Father, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? The scroll would be representative of the, the will of God, the plans of God. The plans of God to redeem a broken, fallen, sinful world. Who's worthy to open that up and get it going, to accomplish it, to execute that will? Who can do it? Who has the right? No one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And so John begins to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered kingly titles so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Well, how did he conquer? Verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, perfect power and perfect knowledge which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals because you have the authority because you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So the only reason that his kingdom will have anyone in it, <laughs> because we're all natural rebels, is because Jesus died for us, a ransom to rescue us from our slavery to sin so that we can be his citizens, his people. And then they worship him, worthy is the lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing precisely because he died, because he suffered, because he was willing to be humiliated on a cross and bear God's wrath in our place, even as Mark mentioned in that song, that propitiation, for our sin, for our shame, and now, because of that, he's exalted as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The same very thing is said in Philippians 2. Just listen to it here. Christ Jesus, who, was, who though he was in the form of God, he was equal with God, did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to or used to his own advantage, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that we could have good news, so that we could have forgiveness and cleansing, reconciliation with God. And then it says this, Therefore, 
God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, so do you see how the authority actually ties into the gospel? The reason he has the authority is because he is the good news, because he won good news for us on the cross. God could have come and just judged the world's evil and set everything to rights and had the equivalent of just like another worldwide flood because we're all rebels at heart. You don't have to teach two-year-olds to disobey you. But that's not what he wanted. He wanted to display and pour out his mercy so he didn't take any shortcuts. That's why at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, Jesus resisted the temptation of Satan in the wilderness. Remember? So it's like a bookend here. In the wilderness, Satan tempts Jesus and says, all these, you see all these kingdoms? All of them I'll give you if you'll fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You're not going to give me anything. If I'm going to receive authority over the kingdoms of this world, it will come from my Father on the far side of the cross. And I am not going to take any shortcuts. And he did that all for us. It was all one for us on the cross. Peace with God was one for us on the cross. So he is the mediatorial king. He mediates mercy to us and to the nations. It can only come through the blood of the cross. So this authority has been given to Jesus, which means this mercy has been won by Jesus, which means there's a time of patience on God's part intended to lead people to repentance. People from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. So we, if we're disciples, are to take the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of peace, We're to take it to our neighbors, and we're to take it to the nations. So forgiveness, amnesty, pardon is available from King Jesus between his first and his second comings. You can be a citizen of heaven. You can be transferred from the domain of darkness. I mean, does anybody, if you're not a Christian, do you know slavery to your selfish desires and pride? You can't break yourself free. You can try to be good enough and try to even out the scales, but you just can't. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. You need a rescuer. And if you are a Christian, can you look back and say, oh man, I remember being in the the domain of darkness, enslaved. And I'm so glad that Jesus came and came seeking and saving that which was lost and he rescued me from the dungeon of my sin. So in light of all that, this is no time to hesitate. (laughs) This moment in Matthew 28, 18 to 20 is the beginning of the global mission of God. Jesus died to ransom people for God from every tribe and people and language. And so, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Point number two, make disciples. So, some of you probably heard this already. There's one imperative in this section. It's make disciples. It's one verb in Greek. But certainly go is intended to have some imperative force to it. Um, The context clearly makes this um, obvious. The grammar of the Greek even reinforces it. So you're going to have to go if you're going to make disciples of all the nations. 
right? <laughs> it's kind of obvious. So, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And one thing we need to notice is that the real emphasis lies in the fact that we are sent by Jesus. We're sent by the one who has all authority. He's the one commissioning us to make disciples of all the nations. So this is not a suggestion. If you're a disciple of Jesus, this is not a suggestion. This is not optional. It is the command of King Jesus to every disciple of Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations. So again, you can see why we're making such a big deal out of this missions conference, why we want our whole church family, each of us, to know what our role is, to be equipped for fulfilling it, and to own our role in the Great Commission. Well, when we're making disciples, we are to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amazing Trinitarian reference here. As one commentator wrote, one does not baptize people in the name of a divine person, a holy creature, and an impersonal force. Though there are sects and cults out there that will view it that way. These three persons share the same name. Do you see that it's singular? Baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we are to make disciples baptizing them into the triune God. Because this triune God is the one who planned and executed and applied, applies this great gospel that we're taking to the nations. So the Father demonstrates his love. He vindicates his righteousness by sending his Son. The Son willingly did his Father's will and loved us to the end by taking on flesh and dying in our place on the cross, literally going through hell for us. The Spirit empowers the, he empowered the Son to do the Father's will. And then the Spirit sent by the Father and the Son comes into our lives and applies the work of Christ internally to us individually. So the Spirit comes, renews, and washes us, makes us new, gives us eyes to see. See first that our attempts of self-salvation are just exercises in futility. And then he opens our eyes to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus. He is the King. He is my Savior, and I trust him. So this is what we do when we make a disciple we then baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And, verse 20, we teach them to observe all that Jesus commanded. Now, before we unpack that, let's just go back to make disciples. What does that mean? What does it mean to make disciples? What is discipleship? I mean, if you've been in the church any length of time, you know that people throw around lots of definitions. Or maybe more often they don't think much about definitions and they, they operate by definitions that they've absorbed. So some people view discipleship as a program for making people, making believers more mature. Some people view discipleship as evangelizing and bringing people to faith in Christ. Well, which is it? Is discipleship about making Christians or maturing Christians? Well, certainly making disciples is about leading people to trust in Christ as their Savior. Okay? The, the term is used in Acts 4, 14, 21. 
Paul and his missionary journey, when they had preached the gospel to that city, Derby, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. So people had become believers. They had converted. They had become followers of Jesus. But making disciples isn't just about making converts. Actually, you can see as we read the passage, this calling, this commitment never really ends. Look at verse 20 again. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teach those disciples, so make disciples, baptize them, teach them. Teach them what? To observe all that Jesus has commanded us. Well, that's going to take a lifetime, (laughs) isn't it? So really, discipleship is what we're doing in everything that we're doing. It's what we're doing when we share the gospel with someone. It's also what we're doing today. It's what happened at 9 o'clock in Sunday school classes with kids and all the way up to adults. It's what we're doing right now. It's happening every day as Christian parents are seeking to raise their children in God's ways. It's happening in your community groups as you do life together and encourage one another to keep running the race that's set before you with your eyes fixed on Jesus. It's so easy to wander, isn't it? We need to keep following Jesus. We need to obey all that he's commanded us, and sometimes we need help to get back on track. Sometimes we need to grow in our understanding of things, and people come into our lives, and they help us, whether it's pursue purity or pursue integrity or freedom from some addiction or something that's kind of like got a hold on us. And also, we stir each other up to love and good deeds. Again, the things that Jesus taught us, commanded us. So it happens each week in our kids' ministry, it's in our student ministry, in our counseling, this is happening. We're teaching people to observe all that Jesus has commanded. He's he's king over every nook and cranny of life. He should be. That's actually the best life there is, is to, to really submit to King Jesus. He's such a good king in every nook and cranny. What really brings the problems into our lives is when we stiff arm his rule. So it's what we're doing all the time. We're following him and helping others follow him faithfully. All of life, all under the lordship of King Jesus. So disciples make disciples. This is like Christianity 101. Disciples make disciples. A guy named Jonathan Dodson says it well. He says, the evangelism discipleship debate, you know, which is, which is it? Is discipleship about evangelism or is it about discipleship? you know, maturing already believers, misses the point of the gospel commission. He likes to call it the gospel commission. Jesus' commission is not mission-centered, but gospel-centered. It focuses on proclaiming the gospel to not-yet-disciples and teaching the gospel to already-disciples. Jesus puts the gospel first, which leads to making and maturing disciples. The gospel that makes disciples is the very same gospel that matures disciples. So discipleship is not just a program or a course you need to go through, although there's some good resources out there like that. It's a person you need to trust and obey. And we need to help each other to do just that, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and follow him. So as we focus on the gospel of King Jesus, as it sinks in, continues to shape all of who we are and what we do, Making new disciples and maturing already disciples will be just who we are. It's 
what we do. So Dodson again writes this, Christians who internalize the gospel of grace more and more are compelled to spread the gospel more and more. And I would say, doesn't matter who you're around. You're going to spread that to people that don't yet know Jesus, and you're going to spread that to people who do, because we all need the gospel more and more for it to sink down and shape, remake who we are from the inside out. So, does this commission, does it intimidate you? Anybody intimidated? Everybody, anybody like overwhelmed, convicted, like, oh, I'm not so good at this? Maybe for some of you, getting involved in the mess of other Christians is intimidating or not so exciting. You, you kind of like, I got enough to worry about. I don't need to add anybody else's problems to mine. Or maybe for others, talking to a neighbor or a coworker or a family member about Christ just scares you to death. You'd, you'd much rather serve the church in maybe some impersonal ways um, and hope that's okay. Now, we all have gifts, but this commission is given to all of us. If you're a disciple, disciples make disciples. So listen, if you're intimidated, this is overwhelming. If you're convicted, okay. <laughs> of course you can't do this on your own steam. Of course you can't do this on your own. That's why those bookends are on either end of the commission. All authority is mine, and I'll be with you. Christ in you, Christ through you, Christ with you, you can do this. <laughs> So look how the commission ends. Look at what King Jesus promises to us to always be with us. Verse 20, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Another bookend with the book of Matthew. Remember how it started? There was that genealogy. And then there's this quotation from Isaiah that the virgin is going to bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And now at the end, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to leave you now. I came to be with you, and I died and rose again, and I'm going to send my spirit so that I'm with you until the end of the age. Don't worry. I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. I was forsaken on the cross so that I would never forsake you even to the end of the age. So we're not alone. He hasn't left us alone to this task. He's with us. He will be with us. And the he that promises to be with us is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. So you see how the book ends? Like the grace on both sides of this command, the book ends are full of grace and they reinforce each other. So he's got all authority, and he's with us. He's with us. Who's with us? The one that has all authority. Oh, that's good. You see? So if you're having trouble with the command in between, you need to camp out on the grace, on the ends. I know that's got me over the hump a number of times. Like, I really should start the conversation. Uh, what are they going to think? They're going to think I'm a... Who cares, you know? Okay, all authority. You're with me. Lord, give me grace and strength to love this person enough to talk to him about you. 
So, we are sent on a dawning mission. All the nations, some of those nations don't want us to come. Some of those nations, they want to cut off our head if we come. And, and sometimes it feels like we're going to die, our reputation is going to die if we cross the, the yard and talk to our neighbor. Well, it might. But it's worth risking that to give eternal life to your neighbor. So, daunting mission, yes, but do you know who's with you till the end of the age? You see why we need to look at Jesus? Yeah, we need to look in. Am I really a disciple? Am I really owning this? But we need to look at Jesus. He's got all authority. We need to look at Jesus. He says he's going to be with us. And that will empower us to obey this command that he's given to us. So, I don't mean to trivialize this, but I think just to make this practical, um, how this should have impact on us, it should kind of weigh on us here, the fact that he says he's going to be with us. So my children, different ones at different times when they're younger, or even Ben now, going someplace in the dark or going into a room, they just don't want to go. It's scary. But if I come and I hold their hand, it's okay. Very pedestrian illustration. I mean, if you were sent on some daunting military mission, but the Hulk was with you, or Iron Man, or Superman, again, I don't mean to trivialize anything, I'm just saying, Jesus promises to be, King G, all authority in heaven and on earth is, is his, and he's with you. That ought to make a difference. We ought to pray that it would make a difference. Jesus is infinitely better and stronger than any other help. So all authority, do you know who he is? <laughs> Make disciples, that's the commission. He's always with you. Promise presence, do you know who's with you? So Bethel, it takes a disciple to make a disciple. If you're not making disciples, are you a disciple? Jesus' method is not a program. It's people who are disciples who are just dead set on making disciples. We need to take this really seriously. Are you going to take this really seriously? Next week is to help us take this really seriously. Make disciples. Listen, teaching them to obey all, all that I've commanded you. Guess what one of the commands that Jesus commanded us is? See where I'm going here? Make disciples is one of the commands. So how can we teach that if we're not living that? Did you track with that? You can go like this or like this, and then I'll know. Okay, great. So just on a personal note here to, to close, um, I was like so jazzed up. I, I've never actually, I mean, I've referred to the Great Commission a gazillion times, but I've actually never soaked in it for a week and preached on it. I was so challenged and encouraged and excited. And so Friday, um, I left because there, there was a, a water meter guy coming to the house. I, I was just like praying for opportunities. I was even thinking of this, this thing, you know, like how to maybe start a conversation. Because um, sometimes we have trouble like how to, how do you even start conversations like this? Um, have you ever, just ask somebody, are you a disciple of anyone? Like is there anybody you really follow? And then, why? Like, what do they help you out of and what do they help you into? You might want to just ask somebody this this week. 
and then tell him who you follow and what he's helped you out of and what he's helped you into. Get right to the gospel. So that's actually not what happened on Friday. But so I went home, this water, Wilmington, they're like replacing water meters or something. And so I got this letter because set set it for one o'clock on Friday. This guy comes. We don't have a water meter inside, so it's out at the road, so very little necessary personal interaction, but I was just like, I just want to tell somebody about Jesus. And so it was like really quick, and he gets in his truck because there's already a new one in there. Okay, great. So I'm like, oh, this could be so creepy if I try to like, you know, stop this guy. And I just was so like, Lord, help us not be creepy. I don't even know how to start this conversation, but I got to go talk to this guy. And so I just knocked on the window, and he rolls the window down, and I just struck up a conversation with him, asked him where he lived. He lives in the city. Um, I, anyway, we had this wonderful conversation. And I was able to talk to him about Jesus. And you can pray that he'll give me a call because I just was like walking six inches off the ground after that conversation because the Lord opened that door. He gave me the grace to do that. And it wasn't weird and creepy, not because I'm so smooth, you know, conversationally, but because the Spirit of God helped me. So let's pray. Let's see what God wants to do in us this weekend. I remember reading a Breakpoint by Eric Metaxas, you know, the prison fellowship thing. And one of the lines in there is, the world is more willing to receive the gospel than Christians are willing to give it. Ah. Now, that's not true in all the nations of the world, but it still is by and large, here in the U.S. We've got to be about this, Bethel. Like, we need to get better at this. I need to get better at this. You want to get better at this? Missions Conference is going to help. That's what it's all about. One encouraging little sign Brett texted on Friday, and he put this screenshot of the conference interest categories as they kind of collated those. The highest response count was for the category starting, it's a workshop on Saturday, starting conversations that lead to Jesus. (laughs) And then he wrote this. A good representation of the heartbeat of Bethel, praising God for where he has us, seems that we are about to erupt with evangelism. Get ready. Look at the number one choice. Yes, that's encouraging. Even if we feel totally inadequate, if that's our desire and we're praying, like, oh, Lord, would you write it in the DNA of this church for generations to come? That's that's just who we are. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 is just written on our hearts. We have all the authority of heaven and earth behind us, and we have all the love and grace and strength and joy and friendship in the universe with the king of the universe with us. Let's pray. Oh God, we praise you for your love and mercy and grace that we do not deserve. We can get so excited about diet plans that get us out of what we, you know, the discomfort we don't want to feel and into the body comfort we do want to feel. It's a good thing. (laughs) But to be rescued from hell and to be given citizenship in heaven is so infinitely greater than any other earthly thing. To have you 
So would you please make it the greatest thing to us? And help us to know the one who promises to be with us, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Help us to want to give this incredible gift and grace of the gospel to those around us. Please do it this week. Open up doors this week, and please pour out your blessing on the conference next week. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.